Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. This episode is brought to you by Riverside.fm, and quite literally because it's what I use to record both my podcasts, Everything is Marketing, and Default Alive. But I was using Riverside long before they became a sponsor. I used to use Zoom until someone interviewed me using Riverside, and I just knew that I had to make the switch. Personally, I love it because they take local recordings on each side, which gives you a reliable connection, and the highest quality audio and video tracks. Separate HD recordings, an iOS app, automatic transcriptions, it's made specifically for podcasters. People like Guy Raz from How I Built This, Cortland Allen from Indie Hackers, and even Hillary Clinton uses it, if you can believe it. Check them out and all the other features they have at riverside.fm. One more time, that's riverside.fm. On the show today is Guillaume Mubesh. I'm trying really hard to say his name correctly, so Guillaume, uh, or G, forgive me if that's wrong, but G is the founder of Lemlist, an email automation tool for sales. I wanted to bring him on because Lemlist has managed to scale past $10 million in annual recurring revenue in just a few years, and also in a very competitive category. And how do they do that? Exceptional marketing. Uh, G and the Lemless team have built an impressive marketing engine by thinking like a media company, essentially. LinkedIn, YouTube, masterclasses, social media, they've found winning formulas from multiple channels. So you hear about how they've evolved their content with the LinkedIn algorithm, how they use paid masterclasses to acquire customers for their SaaS products, and why they're investing in a video docu-series going into 2022. To start out, did you ever think that you'd be running a SaaS business for a living? To be honest, no. <laughs> I, I started like, my parents kind of like uh, grew up on a farm. So to them, you know, it was uh, really, really important that my brother and I could uh, study, get a good degree. Uh, and for them, studying science was like really important. So I actually, I am a chemical engineer, which has nothing wow. to do with uh, what I'm doing uh, right now. So I got my master in chemical engineering and then I was like, okay, my entire life I wanted to do business. So I'm going to go to uh, business school and study marketing. So I have another master in marketing and this is kind of hmm. where I got started into business. But SaaS businesses, I never thought of uh, being like uh, something that I would start one day, no. Right, right. Maybe, maybe the next generation will dream about SaaS businesses, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's too new for any of us to have been able to, to dream of it a while back. And a master in marketing, I feel like actually a lot of the marketers that I talk to, or at least people that do marketing really well, you know, they don't have like a traditional marketing background. I'm one of the few as well. I had a, not a master's, but a bachelor's in marketing. And um, it's sort of rare that you meet someone who's actually gone to school for what they do. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like... Uh even though you know it's a, it's a good like title i would say like to have a master or things like that but i learned everything by doing and not at school so right now for me it was really really important like to just go out there test things and then see what was uh, working best yeah no i agree i was just talking to some some college students the other day this week and you know they're asking you know what are you doing these days what's your your, your advice for us where what would you do differently if you can go back not just tell them like, get out there, do stuff, you know, publish a podcast, write a blog, run ads to a fake Shopify store. Like 
waste money so that you can learn and talk about it and uh, just get out there and, and do stuff. So I totally agree. So today, founder and CEO of Lemlist, which now as I understand it, it's sort of like you guys are building a little bit of a portfolio of products, becoming like a multi-product company a little bit. But could you walk me through just like a brief timeline of how you got to where you are today and just sort of like, you know, a brief history of Lemlist a little bit so we understand. Yeah, definitely. Context. So back in 2018, so about like three and a half years ago, we started uh, Lemlist. So just prior to that, I had my lead generation agency where I was helping companies to acquire their customers through cold email, so sales prospecting email. And after testing all the tools on the market, I felt like we needed more personalization. And I met like two tech geniuses and we decided to launch uh, Lemlist. So three and a half years after that, essentially, like we're making more than 10 million in ARR, so annual recurring revenue. And we started the company with only $1,000 with uh, $0 in external funding. So it's been a lot of organic growth, a lot of eating our own dog food and using our products and also doing a lot of marketing, <laughs> I have to admit. And then mm-hmm. in parallel to that, we also built another project that we called Lempod. The goal was uh, for people to grow their LinkedIn profile using uh, Lempod. And, uh, and basically we sold that project, I think it was a year ago, a year and so ago, after growing it in 12 months to uh, $600,000 in a uh, and recurring revenue and going through all these scaling multi-products and exiting one kind of, you know, like make me wonder, okay, is it possible for us to redo this again now that we are much better structured? And the answer is kind of yes. So the company name is actually uh, Lempire and each our project starts with Lem and we have Lemlist as the main project, but we're also like building something called Lemverse, which is uh, a virtual office. And we're going to have also like a, a few projects that we will launch in, uh, in 2022. So I'm quite excited about all that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, you guys are really, you guys are really going after it. I feel like one of the observations I've made just kind of watching you guys' journey is uh, you guys really just like hustle and you're, you're going, you're going, going, like never taking the, your foot off the gas pedal. And so I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask about was for, for Lemless in particular, starting out bootstrapping a SaaS company is incredibly difficult to get that initial traction because you're using your own money. You know, the product can take a while to get to feature parity and to sort of get to where it's it's sellable and people are responding well to it. And it seems like you actually, you know, found some sort of product market fit that people like. How did you get initial traction? Was it sort of uh, network, you know, dog fooding, right? Doing some cold outreach. Was it some marketing? Like walk me through how you got to, let's just say like the first, you know, thousand customers. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually like a, a good question because I feel like, you know, when, as you said, when you get started, it's, it's always difficult to get that traction. And to be fully transparent, I had no network at the time. <laughs> so I was like a, a nobody. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, how do I differentiate myself in such a competitive space? Because let's face it, it's like the one of the most competitive uh, market out there. So I was like, Okay, the fact that there is so many competitors is a good thing because it means that there is already a product market fit. You know that people doing the same things or similar things as you are, are actually making a lot of money, which is great because to me it validates your product market fit. But then comes the second issue, which is how do you differentiate yourself and become better than anyone else? And to do so, it was really a lot about, as you mentioned, so... First step is eating your own dog food. We had like a, a tool that allows us to do sales prospecting. So I used it. 
to get meetings with people. And my idea was uh, not to do traditional sales prospecting, but more networking. So I would reach out to people, explaining them that, you know, I had my agency back in the days, that I was helping a lot in outreach, checking, setting up the campaigns. And then I would uh, basically say like, okay, I've been discussing with one or two experts in that area, would love to hop on a call with you and see whether or not we can exchange tips or things, you know, that can help us both grow at the same time. And by doing this, I was just building, you know, all these relationships. So, you know, like each campaign that I would launch, I would get, you know, for a hundred people I would reach out to in a super personalized way. I would get maybe 20 meetings out of this. And based on these conversations, I would have two options. Option one, I see that the person is not doing outbound and I can help them and they can use our product, which is great. So that's, that would be like potential customer. Option two, they are, they are already like super happy with their tool, but I still like give them tips and I try to understand what are the things they're struggling with. Whether it's something very technical, like for example, the deliverability, meaning whether or not their email is landed up in the inbox or in spam, or whether it's something more about like a copywriting or the way to approach sales prospecting. Based on that, I would write it down, you know, like on, a, on my notion board, which is where I do like everything. And it will give me content, content ideas. So I would have like, uh, based on all the calls that I made, I would say, okay, like this person were quite happy with their tool right now, but they are struggling with, let's say, deliverability and copywriting. So my next articles are just going to be about that topic. I'm going to try to get in touch with as many people and experts as possible on that topic. And I'm going to level up and try to understand what's the best way to do things, do a lot of testing and document everything. So my content was essentially ideas from my customers or potential people that could be customers or coming from, uh, you know, like me documenting what I would do. So for example, these networking campaigns, I would document and explain what the template I've used, how I started to write them, etc., etc. And by doing this, I was closing deals, but also creating like the best content for our users. I didn't give a fuck about SEO, about all these things. It was just how do I write the best content possible? And once the content was written, I would reach out to the person I had a chat with and tell them, you remember, you know, when you told me that you were struggling with deliverability? Well, awesome. I just uh, met, you know, with about like uh, 50 scale-ups who actually faced similar like uh, issues as you did. And I compiled all the advices that they gave. Plus, I also spent time with my technical team to understand what could be working best for you, etc. And here is an article. And by doing that and providing, you know, all this value, I would do two things. One is build trust and two is start creating like this relationship. So people will start step by step following what we did. And I was never trying to push sales because when you enter a competitive market, you know that your product at first is shit. <laughs> Let's face it. So, so you need time, you know, for your dev and product team to kind of ramp up and build up like a lot of features. So at first I was just focusing on one differentiator, which was uh, personalization because I knew that personalization would give you better results. And step by step, you know, as we grew and you, we kind of catch up with the set of features that the competitors had, we kind of created, you know, like this, what I call gross circle of love, where you provide a lot of value to people. People are happy whenever, you know, like they're checking your content, etc. They want to follow you because you document everything. And step by step, you created that relationship that once your product is at the right level of features that's needed, 
people make the switch. So we had the, the, the first transition, which was pure outbound sales to get like the first 10 to 100 customers. Then while I was doing that, building kind of this content machine and growth engine. So I was doing it in two ways, through pure content creation, but also through building a strong network of distribution. To do that, I was using both LinkedIn and my personal brand, where I would post daily, and also building a community on Facebook that right now is becoming like the biggest community around sales automation, but back in the day was just like people sharing tips and trying to help each other. So it was kind of like this circle of, uh, of love that I call because it's when you're passionate about it, you know, you put all your heart in it and then people kind of see it and then the relationships you build are much easier. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I love the idea of using those sort of networking and, you know, quote unquote, sales conversations to source content ideas. I think that's absolutely genius and something that a lot of people could learn from because <laughs> they're over here, you know, on their computer, you know, looking up keywords on Ahrefs or they're just sort of pontificating in their office chair when they could actually be talking to real people. But second of all, using that time to sort of build the marketing engine before the product was ready. If you don't mind, I would, I'd love to sort of dig into that a little bit more. Like how long was it that you were taking all these calls and creating content before the product was sort of ready, you know, and by ready, I don't really know what that means, right? Is that ready to <laughs> You know, to get in people's hands, ready to launch, ready to charge for and get people to pay for. You can define that however you want. So essentially, like my two co-founders are a bit older. So they are two brothers and they're, they were about like 45 years old when we started. So they had built SaaS their entire life. And to them, it was basically after three weeks of coding, we had the first version. And from that point on, they were like, okay, now you have to sell it. <laughs> so I had no other options than to at least onboard people. But when, whenever we started to actually like bill people for, for the product, so have them on a monthly subscription fee, I think we waited about like four months and a half between the first line of code and having people pay for our product. So it's, it's basically during this entire time that I wrote those articles, I spent time with our either prospect or potential customers just to get you know, to that stage where you really understand what people are struggling with you know your product and you know what can be improved and at the same time you're trying to provide as much value as possible to people without thinking about seo and all these things i'm i'm not saying that if you're uh, if you're really good at seo you shouldn't focus on it because i think that some people can really manage to do like amazing thing with seo and build their business around it but i feel that sometimes when you focus if if it's not your forte and you're, you're not killing it in SEO, just focus on the value in your content, make it actionable, make it uh, with no bullshit, straight to the point where people can just follow like a, an easy process because that way it will be shared and people will kind of start trusting you and will be much more likely to read more your content because I know a lot of people when they start learning about SEO, the way they write an article is very robotic. They answer all the questions for a keyword and then you know the article is just i don't know everything at the same place and it's kind of bullshit and you don't really enjoy it whether if you make it for people to share it then i feel like this is a, a much more like uh, it will get a, a much bigger impact and more quickly yeah yeah well especially to get those early results i think that what you highlighted earlier was that you were creating content specifically to answer real people's questions 
and then you're writing it in a way where then you could send it back to them and then they would be like oh this is an amazing article look at what you know look at what was written based on my question that i asked and now you have that sort of viral effect and you work that machine rinse and repeat and it has the same sort of effects as seo would yeah exactly and on top of it like to be honest i'm not like i don't know like i'm not a professional writer or whatever i just write the way i talk and whenever you do that i feel like the tone kind of can be you know like thin directly into the article you write which is also great you know for for like relationship building overall yeah yeah so you mentioned that personalization was kind of that first key differentiator that you guys focused on for the product um wondering if you could walk me a little bit through i mean obviously like you said it's a crowded market there's a lot of competitors you guys were not first to market by any means right maybe one of the yeah. last to market but that doesn't mean right that you can't compete and you guys showed that so personalization was one of the big key differentiators so i'd love to know why you picked that and i know it has to do with what people said but just sort of walk me through you know how you actually bake that into the product and then two how that's changed over time, you know, now is that still what you'd say is your, your, your big key differentiator or how has the sort of competitive strategy changed as you guys have grown? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. So for me to answer your first question regarding like personalization, I, I just started to think, you know, business wise, why do people purchase something? It's either because you help them save time or because, you know, you help them make more money. In our case, because we're like a, a sales prospecting tool, it's basically, you know, around making money. So then I was like, okay, we want to help people make money, but there are other tools that do the same. So what, how can we help them make more money? And for me, it was like, whenever I do like sales prospecting and I look at the tools, they, their tagline and their value proposition is all about put your sales team on autopilot which for any VP sales, any head of marketing is just amazing. You know, it's like, fuck the sales team, you're on autopilot, we're gonna make money. <clears throat> and basically I was like, that's a really nice message or not, but it doesn't work like this. So for everyone working in field sales or sales, they know that in order for you to build relationships, you need to personalize these messages, spend a bit of time, you know, like in researching the person because sales is all about relationships so then when i break this down i was like yes but if you look at this what it is it's personalization so how do i make a platform that allows people to really personalize or at least that would encourage people to personalize even more so the way we built our entire system trying to save time to people so to make the user interface much easier but also at the same time to allow them at the end to review the prospect that they would send a message to and to add an extra layer of personalization if they wanted to. So we put directly into the platform some, let's say, steps that would allow you to add extra personalization. And on top of it, we had also built two things, the possibility to add videos directly into an email, which was not done at all at the time. And so people could basically, because whenever we started, it was not so common to send videos and to me, it was quite good, you know, just to get this first feel because whenever you hear someone speaking or whenever you, you have like, a, I don't know, like the face of the person moving in front of you, it's much easier to, to kind of get the person, get a sense of who they are rather than just a text email where you don't see the person, you don't know if it's actually a fake name or a real person, etc., etc. 
So by doing this little thing directly inside the product, we had our clear differentiator and we could have our entire marketing around that. And to answer your second question, which is, is it still the case? It's obviously something that we have never left because for us, it's really important to kind of change the image of sales. We have people who say that sales is all about, you know, like we can see this guy with, uh, with uh, just doing a lot of sports and is uh, kind of like yelling, yeah, I'm a closer, I'm a shark, etc., etc. But all the data that we've gathered in the last years shows that, and not only us, but even like people like Gong, etc., etc., who are recording calls, shows that actually, you know, like the, be the, the best salespersons are the ones who are listeners and not talkers, the ones, you know, that are more on a consultative approach, not the ones that are trying to push for the sales. And again, you know, like all these little things, it's all about relationship building, it's all about caring. So we kept, you know, like focusing on this because it's also part of our DNA. But we added within the years several things. One part that is really, really technical, which is more on our tech side, where we work with really advanced people who work in mathematics to build like powerful algorithm and work on artificial intelligence also on some parts or machine learning and also really work on our community. We quickly saw that we were actually with this no bullshit approach growing uh, a huge community that we're happy that for finally some people were actually sharing, you know, like uh, real data of real campaign in full transparency with no bullshit and saying that, okay, this works, this doesn't work. If you go get your uh, templates on HubSpot and on their blog, you will get zero reply and that's why it doesn't work. Here is the right way to do sales. So we're saying the things that no one likes to hear, but that works well. And by doing this, we're like, okay, how could we leverage this community to also make, make it our differentiator? So there is obviously the marketing aspect, which is quite, I would say, like normal and everyone understands it. You have a community, you build your audience, it's easy to differentiate, but how can we link this to the technical aspect? And at the beginning of uh, the podcast, I mentioned, you know, the, the deliverability part, meaning whether or not your emails end up in spam. And to make it super simple, whenever you have your domain and you are sending your emails, people have a reputation, meaning that if you send a lot of spam, you'll be identified as spammer and hence you will end up much more in spam. But if you do things correctly, your emails will end up in the inbox. The issue is that some people, sometimes when they use the bad tools or tools where I would say like the, the domains are shared. So for example, if you're using MailChimp or this type of tools, your domain is put within the same sender and all emails are sent from the same sender, even though you are not from the same company. And this is an issue because it can damage your reputation. It's a bit the same as uh, let's say you are, in a, you, you are walking in the street and then people around you start to trash things and then you're in the middle of that crowd and you're like, fuck, you know, like this is not me, but you still get arrested, you know? And this is the same with deliverability. So we were like, okay, how can we have this community and make sure that all the person in our community, because we know that they are doing things right, get the best deliverability possible. So we started to think and implement a new product that we call Lemworm, which is inside of Lemlist, that allows our users automatically to send messages to each other and when the email come to a spam in one of our users inbox, we put it back into the inbox in order to send like really good signals to all the email service provider. So all our users basically have the highest deliverability 
when they put this on, just because right now we have the biggest community worldwide, which means we have a, a wide uh, range of different types of inboxes. We have companies like Zendesk, Amazon, SAP, but also small startups and small businesses pretty much worldwide, which is really great for us to have this variety of businesses and then send really good signals. So we kind of linked the community and the tech at the same time, which makes us unique. And it's something that no one can copy because the algorithm is based on our user's base, which is scaling also like exponentially. Hmm. You guys are real smart, man. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not where I expected that to go. And uh, I didn't know that. So, so well, good, good on you guys for kind of figuring that out. And the community is actually, so it's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. And so we can dive into that a little bit, but what was the origin of the community? Is that just something you guys thought, Hey, let's, you know, test this out. Or, you know, were you sort of envisioning from the beginning that it would be sort of this core part of the business and one of the big parts of your, your, your marketing and your sort of product function? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I'm not going to lie, being fully transparent. We, we started the community because back in the days, we were uh, just Vianney, Francois and me doing the support. So me and my two co-founders. And when I was checking like, their answers to the support, I told them, okay, focus on the tech side. <laughs> I will handle the support myself because they were like, kind of grumpy and answering very quickly. It was not really like uh, caring for our <laughs> users. So, after a while, I started to have like way too many messages, you know, on the on the support side. So I decided, okay, how can I manage to answer more messages at the same time? And to do so, I'm like, okay, people are asking always the same questions. So let's have them go into a Facebook group and we will see, you know, whether or not we can exchange and have people help each other. That was my first thought. Uh, when I launched it, obviously people were not helping each other. So I had to put like a lot of content every single week and every single day. So every single week I was sharing an article and a very specific campaign where I was detailing our results, the template that I used, etc, etc. And then every single day I was posting about like something specific. Is there a new feature, a new article, etc, etc. And I did this for six months. And after that, I would always remember that day when people were asking questions and I had to validate the question before it get posted just to, you know, like remove all the spanners. And once I had this question, uh, so every time I would accept a question, I would be the one writing the answer. And one day I accepted the question and while I was writing, I saw someone is typing and I was like, mm, that's weird. And then someone actually answered before me. And this is the day I realized that, okay, the community has, has been launched and now you can see people that are helping each other, that are just, you know, like answering questions, pointing out, you know, to, to different topics that we discussed before, etc., etc. And it's been really, really great uh, so far. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the community building is, is very hard. It sounds like the way that you led with it was more around, you know, people are asking questions. So you're sort of like siphoning over them over there. Like, okay, you have this question. <laughs> Great. Let's handle it in this area in particular in the Facebook group. But also that, you know, became sort of like a distribution channel for you to share content and share sort of insider learnings and share data and, you know, swap uh, or, you know, even get some of your questions uh, answered. And then from there, the community was born where then people got connected and became less of a an audience and more of a community that was connected to each other. Definitely. And you, you can make the parallel of this, you know, to a lot of people on Twitter who are kind of like killing it uh, by building in public and also like, you know, like they ask questions to their audience and then, you know, like everyone's answering and then they get ideas for their next businesses, etc., etc. 
this works really, really well. What I like about community, as you said, is just the fact that it's, it's shared because an audience on Twitter is yours, like it's your audience, but people don't always interact with each other. It's more they interact with you and you only. Whereas with a community, what's nice is that after sometimes, you can you basically like spend a bit less time and still have the same high quality by just being the one that's the gatekeeper for the questions and the people who enter. And that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. One of the things you guys have always re done really well is LinkedIn too. Mm. And, uh, you know, whether there's through video, and th I feel like for every, you know, there's been all these waves with LinkedIn where it was like, oh, this is what is like really working right now. And like for a while, you know, LinkedIn were like really, really prioritized video. And you guys were one of the first ones to like really latch onto that and leverage it and use it. But just LinkedIn in general, one, why was that sort of one of the go-to channels for you early on and continues to be? Uh, but two, can you just walk me through like some of the strategies that have worked well and you know your kind of experimentation and thoughts around figuring out what works and what doesn't work? Yeah, definitely. So first uh, question is why LinkedIn? To me, I think it's if you're in B2B, LinkedIn is still like really, really powerful because it's where everyone hangs out overall. Like on Twitter, you have like a lot of people in tech, but LinkedIn is, I think, much more like a bro, it's a much broader audience. So to me, it was important to be there. And also what was really interesting with LinkedIn is that about like, Four years ago, they made that switch from we are like uh, trying to push content from uh, all the page, which were usually like, hey, look, we're hiring or hey, like uh, we made a new article about something that no one cares about. But here it is to I want people who are the users and hence, you know, like the the, the wealth of the social network to create content. And I want to push these content creators. And to do so, I'm going to give them a lot of reach so they produce more and more content, build their audience. So later on, people will spend more time on there and they can sell more ads. Because for LinkedIn, let's face it, their business model is simple. They sell sales navigator or LinkedIn recruiter licenses and their media. So they are selling ads like Facebook or uh, Twitter or any uh, social network. So to me, it was like, okay, there is this huge opportunity. We're getting good reach with content and then, you know, like uh, the, the strategy also was like, I knew that from day one, we wanted to become like a multi-channel platform. So be able to do sales prospecting, not only with cold email, but also through LinkedIn. And I was trying to think, okay, what's mm -hmm. the best way to connect with people? Because you want overall to build a relationship and to build a relationship, you need trust. Trust comes with content whenever you read or you know, people listening to your podcast, they're like, okay, Corey is really nice guy. He knows what he's talking about. I like the question he asks, etc. By doing this, you know, you become likable. And for you and for people to get in touch with you and do business, it's 10 times much easier. And that's the power, you know, of social network also, because you write content, you put your face on it, you put video, you have recommendation, you also have social proof if you start getting a lot of followers. So it's, it's a great way to get to that first page. So I was like, okay, can we do sales prospecting with LinkedIn and warm up our audience first by creating the best content? So I tested many things where I was adding all the person. So I was, I used to do that manually and now it's a bit automated thanks to uh, all the development we've made right now on Lemlist. But I was adding people to my network. I would wait for three weeks. So I'm sure that they were seeing my content because I would post on a, like say like three to five times per week. And then after that, I would reach out to them via cold email and via LinkedIn. And I would see what's my overall reply rate. And what I realized is by using this strategy, 
it would be three to five times higher than with just cold email or with just LinkedIn messages. So I was like, okay, that, that was wow. basically like what uh, pushed me to, to kind of like continue. And I realized that it made total sense when you analyze it. It's like if people perceive you or see you as a thought leader or as someone, you know, like who's quite interesting, quite providing value, they want to meet with you. And that's something, you know, I was like, okay, for me, I can manage to do it, but can I do it also with my team? And this is when we started to processize everything. You know, it's like, how do we write good content? How do we make a good LinkedIn post? And we've tested so many things. As you mentioned, video was really big back in the days and we were like the, one of the first ones to do it on LinkedIn. And it worked really, really well from some time. And then it started to decrease and the views were decreasing, the engagement were decreasing, even though the quality was still as good. So I was like, okay, what's the issue? And then I started to see like all the other creators of video were having the same issue. And then LinkedIn said, we're not pushing videos as we used to. We're more pushing text. So I had to switch to text. So the idea is to always adapt, always monitor like a few metrics. And then, you know, we were, we're seeing, but overall, like my strategy, when it comes to LinkedIn in general, I would say I'm like around 95% of the time is just about providing value. So to give you a very specific example of what providing value would mean, back in the days, what I would do is my ideal customer profile, so the person that would be in our target audience, would be people working in sales or people working in marketing or at least people who would be interested in cold email. So I would write tips that, would, that I would call cold email tips number one, and then I would share something very specific about cold email that is actionable, that brings value to the audience and where people can say, okay, like I never thought about this. This is smart. I'm going to try it. And I would do this series of 10 posts, cold email tips, then cold email mistakes, another 10 posts, then deliverability tips, etc., etc. So a lot of different things just to provide value, have people comment, etc., etc. And then those 95% of the time where I give value, then there would be 5% of the time where I would ask for people to comment so they can get something in exchange. So for example, I would have written like this ebook or this article or anything like that I want to, to basically like uh, distribute. And I would, I would ask people, if you want to get the special or secret ebook that I've written, just comment, I want it or something like that. And I would send you a message to give you the ebook. The idea whenever you're building like this type of viral post is that the more people comment, the more they actually, the more your post gets rich and the more viral it gets. Because if you see a post with 100 people who commented, I want in, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, I want in too. You know, like there is this kind of FOMO, so fear of missing out and people wants to get in. And, and then, you know, it, it just gets viral. And, and this is typically virality because it's a circle where the more people comment, the more people are going to see it. And the more people see that people commented, the more they want to comment. So by doing this type of post, you're like, first, you're not doing it all the time because otherwise people get bored and they're like, you know, every time he's asking me to comment, it's a bit annoying. So the idea is to build your trust, make sure that you are like seen as a thought leader. And once you've done that, then you can ask. So 95% value, 5% you're asking for something. And by doing this, we've seen like some amazing results. Like sometimes with one LinkedIn post, we got, I don't know, like two to 3,000 emails of people downloading an ebook. For us, it doesn't cost nothing and this is 3,000 leads. So it's like huge. And then conversion rate from this, it's like a few hundred customers. 
So it's, it's, it's usually like really, really great way. And um, that's something we've decided to implement with our entire team. And the idea was like, okay, we know what we want to do, how we want to position ourselves, but in our target market, we have an audience that is a bit broader. So um, we have, let's say like the salespeople, we have the entrepreneurs who are starting their business and wants to do cold email. We have the head of sales and we also have head of growth, head of marketing. So the way we decided to do it is that each department in our team needs to build their personal brand based on who they are. So me, for example, right now, I'm not focused on sales anymore. I'm more focused on giving tips to entrepreneurs just because I know that they will rely and connect much more with me because based on my story and the things I've accomplished, they can say, okay, like he's an entrepreneur, he's legit, he built his company to 10 million, he sold one company, et cetera, et cetera. There is a trust. The trust is there, so they're much more likely to listen to the advice, to the tips, and I can provide value. Nadia, our head of sales, and Simon, who's working in sales, and Stefan, etc. Irina, they are working, you know, on, okay, what's the life of a head of sales, or what's the life as a SDR? And they give tips of the things they test, things where they fail, they share a story on a day-to-day, which kind of creates, you know, like this, okay, they're human, they're failing, they test, they do all these things, they are learning, which is also amazing to see how people are developing. For the marketing, it's the same, but they do it on the marketing level, you know, like the things that they've implemented. Maybe they built like a huge checklist for SEO that they want to share. Whatever, you know, works, but the idea is to always provide value. And we do it even with our tech team, (laughs) in a sense that uh, some people in our tech team also post, but for them, the end result is not too much to acquire customers, but it's much more to help for HR. So the more we showcase and document whatever we do, the more people want to work with us. And that's also an amazing thing for tech because we know that, you know, like finding talented developers is always a challenge. But for us, it's just amazing because people, whenever they join, they they just, you know, like don't want a job. They want to work with us because they see my CTO, they see how passionate he is, they know that he's a technical genius so they're highly motivated to join and then when it comes to you know like everything people don't care about the salary people don't care about like what's they, they just passionate you know and this is great because obviously we pay like good salary to everyone but we have zero churn like people don't live uh, in our dev team they never live you know it's like and you you would never see this in a in a tech company you know <laughs> people usually live after a year or a year and a half with us they just stay because they love this mm-hmm. and they love you know the the way we work so to me the i would say like the an image that i like to to use you you know like uh, marco polo right the the explorer yeah the, the truth is this guy, he was not an explorer, he was a yeah. merchant. Mm-hmm. But everyone yeah. thinks that, you know, he's an explorer, but because he was the first one to actually document everything. So everyone think that Marco Polo, you know, discovered the road, uh, the Silk Road. But actually before him, there were like thousands of other merchants who went through this road. And it was not as if he was the first one, he discovered it. And, and we saw that a lot of people, you know, are documenting, doing movies, saying, but the truth is, before him, thousands of merchants were exactly doing the same visit, the same spot, the same stops, etc. across the Silk Road. But because he was the first to document it, people follow him as an explorer. People, you know, like kind of fantasized about him and everything he did. And that's the same thing, I think, in, the, in whatever job you do. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, man, I have to I have to applaud you on the idea around sort of building these personalities within the company and sort of, you know, allowing them to create content around their, you know, area of expertise. Like I love how you said that you focus on entrepreneurship and then the head of sales and SDR focus on the sales side of things and then the tech team focuses on you know, the tech content, which is more, less of marketing for the product, but more marketing for the team and the company, right, to join as an employee. First of all, when did you sort of, like, make that a part of the strategy, quote unquote, but two, like, was everyone receptive to that? Or like, how did you roll that out? You know, or like, did it come from them? Were they like, hey, we should do this and we should document everything? And, or were there, you know, <laughs> was it not that way? So <laughs> forced. I, you know, right. Not forced, but I just have to assume that not everyone would have, you know, that ambition to, let me go write up all this content and let me, you know, record these videos and do these podcasts and sort of be a personality, right? Where you have an online presence. Yeah, definitely. So, the, the first thing is, I think I realized the power of it after, let's say, yeah, two years building Lemlist. So at that time, we were just like five people in the team. So I was just basically like helping my head of growth to build his online presence. So I was like giving him tips because I realized that he wanted to do that as well. And then after that, when I hired the, our head of sales, I realized that you know, by helping her, like setting up the exact same strategies that I did. So building a personal brand, then reaching out to people and helping her achieve results that she had never done in the past in outreach. She kind of see the, the potential. So when, once we started like to scale the team, both of our head of sales and head of growth knew the power of building this personal brand. So we started, you know, like to kind of uh, incentivize people and posting on a regular basis. So for the sales team, for example, it was they had to post at least like uh, two to three posts on LinkedIn per week. It was part of their KPIs. For the marketing mm -hmm. team, it was more about like uh, doing networking calls. So to do networking calls, they knew that they had to post also. So it was similar to, to these things. And then after that, what we did is we decided to pair the one person from marketing with one person with sales. So we kind of created this dynamic duo where the marketing team was helping the sales team to actually write uh, better content and to, to help them, you know, in the copywriting and in all these things. So by pairing like people, first sales and marketing, you know, in many companies, they can't really work together because they're always blaming each other. But for us, it was more like a, a team, team game and, and we were trying, you know, like to do all these contests together. So it started to work really well and we started to scale that, I would say like about 14 months ago. And, and now, you know, everyone is really incentivized. But some people in the company don't do it just because you know they're not comfortable with it and and for us it's fine it's it's just something we want everyone to try because it puts you outside of your comfort zone and i think it's a it's a really good test so for example we hired someone in marketing she didn't want to post at first or she felt super embarrassed she was happy to test but she was super super embarrassed and after a month she was like I already got like 10 networking calls. I never thought I could meet so many people because I feel like once you've done something that puts you outside of your comfort zone and you realize that thanks to it, it allows you to open so many doors, learn from so many amazing people and you actually see this kind of network effect where, oh shit, you know, like I'm talking to someone in the US or like on the other side of the world and we just like met digitally. I think like it, it opens a whole new level of things that you can actually do in your life. And to me, it's pretty amazing. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny too because you know earlier we were talking about LinkedIn and you were talking about how they made this switch from prioritizing company pages and company content to personal pages and personal content. And that's really true for like any social media platform today. Like it, it absolutely values the, the person and the creator. I think just in general, that's how people work is they want to see people and they want to know content from people. And so it's kind of crazy to, to like almost not do this today where you, you know, one person could be sort of like the face of the company and they could do, you know, all the contents or like be the big personal brand. But why not multiple people and why not multiple people for different areas of, of expertise, especially because all the platforms really prioritize people and content from different people? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you're, you're totally right. I think like to answer your question, when, whenever you're, you're saying like, why not multiple people? I feel like this is uh, it comes down to two things. I feel when the founder has a, a big personal brand, I think it's sometimes like a, an ego issue. So if you have people in your company who are getting like a much bigger reach or, you know, then it all comes down to vanity metrics. I would think that some people would feel bad about it. Me personally, I would be like really excited and I love it. You know, when, uh, when I have someone who gets like viral post or huge reach, I think it's super nice. But on the second thing is just like some people feel like if someone in their team build uh, a strong, really strong personal brand that they're basically using their experience to get their uh, community, to get their audience. And then after that, they can leave or get a better salary elsewhere, etc., etc. And some people see it as a risk. For me, the risk is if you don't treat well your employee, they're going to leave. You know, that's, that's the only risk. But the rest, it's beneficial for yeah. everyone, to be honest. And I actually feel that if you can motivate people and if they see that within your company, you're helping them towards building that personal brand and their audience, people will be just happy, you know, and when they're happy, they, they're happy to stay also with you. So, so to me, it's a huge opportunity of growth rather than, uh, than a threat. But most people see it as a threat. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's, it's going to be a big shift and change people's minds, I think, in the next couple of years as uh, pioneers like you, the early adopters <laughs> start to become, you know, more of the normal and people start catching on. I also wanted to know, sort of like, how would you describe the marketing strategy today? I mean, early on, you guys did a great job with, with sales, with the networking, with the outreach, with dog fooding, but also creating content. What does it look like today? I have to assume that there's a lot more marketing involved rather than, you know, just sales, even though, of course, you're still dog fooding. But what are other, some of the other channels that you're leveraging and just sort of the strategy as a whole of how you guys think about it? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I think like the, the more, you know, the company grew, the more we decided to focus on simple things. Uh, the simplest thing is we need to answer one question whenever to whatever we're doing. So whether we're building content, writing content, creating webinars, creating it's we need to answer with yes, the following question. Is this going to help our users to be more successful, make more money, make more sales? If the answer is maybe or I don't know, then we don't do this type of content. Because the trick mm -hmm. is whenever you know you start thinking about SEO, think about your marketing strategy, sometimes you're just thinking overall and then you get lost into creating content that doesn't bring any value. And then you're like, hey, look, it's bringing traffic. Yeah, but if the traffic is shit, like I don't care, you know? <laughs> and, and to me, this was the, the most important thing. So to, to give you an example, we are like, okay, how do we help really like our users create the best sales prospecting campaign ever? And we started to run these things called Lemlister of the Week, which is 
every single week, we take one of our users who created a campaign that got amazing results and we explain to our community why it worked so well. For the users, it's great because they are showcased to our community and our newsletter of more than 50,000 people. So they get like some traffic to their website. It's also great like to showcase who they are, etc. And for us, it's great because it's user-generated content. Essentially, we take their campaign and explain why it's working. But down the line, we're like, okay, how could we push this even further? Because we have people who, are, who love our brand, love our product. They start using it and then they stop just because they didn't get any replies. So we took some of these people and we decided to run campaigns for them, which is something that an agency would bill like uh, $2,000 per month or something. So we have one person and now actually it's two person in our team who are in charge of creating content and documenting all the process of creating these campaigns for our users. So it's great because it's, uh, we document everything. So it's on uh, the YouTube channel. At the same time, we have like the templates that we can share to other people. And then on top of it, you know, it's content that people can, for example, let's say one of the case studies showcase how to get in touch with CFOs or accountants. Then we can push them the right content for their target whenever they want. And we know that the sequence, because it's been built by our own internal sales team, that the quality is really there, that there is fully multi-channel, etc., etc. So the, the entire strategy is really around how do we make our, our community like more successful. And we have built like several, several steps. So we have a lot of free content. We have a lot of, you know, like user generated content. And then we also have like master classes, which are like paid, which is another source of revenue. But this is more for people to mm -hmm. This is actually like a test that I wanted to make because our main business is obviously like uh, the SaaS, so software as a service, we sell uh, a subscription. But then I was wondering, okay, can we have like uh, a customer acquisition cost that would be negative for our software? And to do so, I was like, okay, if we sell, I would say like a training that people pay for, I know that the people in the training will actually purchase Lemlist afterwards. Then it would mean that our customer acquisition cost is negative because technically people paid to then use Lemlist and purchase it. So we, we started doing that and we realized mm. that by creating like one of the most actionable like uh, masterclass you could find. So we took basically every masterclasses on the market. We bought them all. We checked out the content. We realized what was good, what was not good. We just kept all the actionable part of it. And then we decided to create our own that is uh, working really, really well. And on top of it, we realized that the more we made our users successful, the longer they would stay on the platform. Because if they are trained through the masterclass, I know that they're going to get good results. And if they get good results, they keep, uh, they keep purchasing. So that's kind of like the, I would say, when it comes to content, the strategy, when it comes to, to the marketing. But on the other side, we have a, a tagline that is uh, do things that you shouldn't. So we always try, you know, to do uh, all this uh, kind of like creative things. So we do a lot of videos. We do a lot of what the fuck videos we're going to start like. So my CTO and me, we're uh, actually running like a weekly vlog. So where I give like uh, I'm usually on my bike and I just talk to the GoPro and do these little things where I give tips, etc. So we just try to do things a bit differently, do things that are beneficial for us, you know, as a person, because I feel like the more I document things, the more I put complex thoughts that I have in my mind in simple sentences. 
And it's really, really helpful as a, a CEO or as a head of to just take all the complex things you have in your mind and just put, it, put them on paper as if you were writing an article. And we're, we're basically like doing all these things that we have essentially like kind of, if you had to put it a bit as a funnel, but I call it more like the growth circle of love. The, the first step is inspire. So how exactly do we inspire our users? To inspire people, you need to help them project themselves into like a, a better life or something better. So this goes through our story because when we started, we didn't have a lot of money. We started with a thousand bucks and now we made like a company that's worth more than 150 million. So people can really think, okay, this is good. <laughs> I'd love to, to get to the, to the same level. Then there is the part where it's about education. So this is where we produce all the content towards like no bullshit. So how, what is the step-by-step -step way of achieving this? What's the tutorial to do X, Y, Z, etc., etc. Then we have the part where it's converting. So it's how do people actually purchase? So what onboarding email can we write? How do we activate better people? How do we make sure they use the product? So a lot of product marketing. And then after that, we have the retention. So we call this like a gross circle of love because essentially like retention is the last part and the most important part. So like every love story, the most beautiful one are the one that lasts the longest. So you want your customers, you know, like to, to stay with you for, for a lot of time. <laughs> and what's great is it's, it's a circle. So once you're retaining people, you have to inspire them and it will help them again, like doing this educational and then after converting and afterwards again, have them stay longer with you. Yeah, so the retention part for me is the most important one because, you know, like as all love story, as I was saying, you know, it's like the, the longest that are the, the most beautiful, I would say. And, and it's really about this once, once people, you know, you're helping them becoming more successful and they can stay as customers, it's, it doesn't end up there, you know, like to, to help them because in any fields that you are working on things, especially right now, are evolving extremely fast. So for people to stay and always be up to date, you always need to go back once you're like retaining them to just inspire parts because people always needs to be inspired to actually take action. So this is where all the brand that you are building and we have tons of extremely powerful brands, you know, that across the years are no matter what their message is, you're always following them because you love them. And once you have this lovable brand and you can always inspire people, then you can come back to this part of educating people. Because when people are inspired by you, they're much more likely to listen to what you have to say. And if whenever you're teaching them something that's valuable, then it's 10 times easier you know, to convert them with relevant product or software that they should use. And then after that, you go back to retain and so on and so forth. And you have your growth yeah, circle yeah. of love. Yeah, because each part of it sort of feeds the other, right? And so you need this, exactly. yeah, this, this virtuous cycle that feeds itself, but that also doesn't get stale over time. And you know, that helps people at different stages. Also, I wanted to go back to, to one part about the, the paid masterclass, because that's one of the one of the things I see very few people doing is sort of having like this paid course or paid training either on top of or adjacent to some sort of, you know, SaaS products, some sort of recurring revenue. And like I said, maybe to use it even as like an acquisition strategy where, you know, it, it very much reduces the, the cost to acquire uh, while also 
of course, having some inherently valuable content to users. But how are you guys uh, using and marketing that? Like, is that something you run paid ads to? Is that something you just like offer on the website and people find organically or that you push through some sort of email marketing campaign? It's a, it's a really good question. So the, the first one we launched, we actually made like $1,000 in one hour doing like a webinar and we used $0 in ads. We just used our own audience and on LinkedIn to promote to an event. And during this webinar, we basically like sold the masterclass and we had like basically the idea to launch four different masterclasses and then run them separately. But what I've realized is uh, actually we just need two, one that is multi-channel and the other one that is for agencies. So right now we're kind of like refocusing on the, the different, because if you have too many masterclasses, then it becomes like a whole different, uh, I would say like a business mm -hmm. model. And, and for us right now, I think like focusing on two is, is already great, but that's definitely like what you mentioned. And in the, the months to come, the idea would be to have a different funnel of ads and then, you know, like go push people towards like an event or a live webinar where we can sell something. And from that, you know, like we, we have them as users, etc. But the reason why most SaaS are not pushing uh, towards this way is I feel like people working in SaaS are very, <laughs> how would I frame it uh, nicely? <laughs> they, they really hate infopreneurs. Yeah. So people selling like masterclasses, etc. I think they even despise them. So it's like, uh, yeah, this is just like a scammers thing, you know, where uh, people are telling you like how to get rich quickly, etc., etc. And And I understand that for a lot of people, this is kind of like the, the view. I, but to be honest, like if you look at ClickFunnels, so a lot of people, for example, think that ClickFunnels is a scam or a pyramid scheme or this type of things because, you know, they have extremely pushy marketing tactics and they are really like, but the truth is the way they are doing their like trainings plus then, you know, like how to use their product and trying to help their users become really experts in using their product. I think they're doing an excellent job at this. Like, uh, and and their results is just amazing. And I remember Russell uh, Brunson was saying that, so the, their CEO was saying that whenever they were running ads, it would cost them maybe like five or six times more trying to acquire a customer on ClickFunnels directly, so on their software directly, rather than to acquire him through uh, a training. But the fact that the masterclass or training that they were selling was already like uh, giving a good ROI, people would actually then use their product and not churn. So the LTV of people going through that funnel would be maybe, so lifetime value of the users would be maybe like uh, five or 10 times higher than the one that they would go through directly to the SaaS. And to me, this, is, this makes sense, you know, it's like you don't build a relationship with people if you push them and if you try to push your, your product down their throat. Whereas if you try to build like relationship with people doing trainings and doing this type of things, then they see your face on videos, they see who you are, they see that you're actually like knowing your shit and you're giving value. And then as soon as they start using your product and get results, they're like, hell yeah, it's working, you know? And if it's working for them, it will be working for you as well. So that's something I really enjoy and it's definitely something we're gonna focus on in the, in the months to come also. Right, right. And as you said, it's, it's hard to it's hard to push people to a product straight from an ad and by product i mean like a, a piece of software right whether current yeah. uh, subscription especially i think if it's it's hard because if it's 
uh, a product that's really easy to get started with, with like a low, you know, average contract value or low ARPU, however you want to describe it, then the metrics are really hard to work because you end up, it ends up being not profitable. But if it's a, if it's a really high, you know, lifetime value product, a really high ARPU product, then it's also hard because the conversion ratios could be way lower, right? Because it takes so much work and consensus and uh, and time to get onboarded, right? So by first, you know, <laughs> most people you have to send them to the content anyways. So you might as well kind of make it a paid piece of content if you can. That way it reduces the, the cost, right? Offsets it. And, and then it leaves them straight into the product, right? Absolutely. Was that so, and you're, you're, you guys are doing them all live, right? These aren't like pre-recorded sort of courses. Like they are, they're live mm. uh, trainings that are like an hour long-ish. No, so the, the courses are, uh, so the webinar was live uh, that we did for the launch. Oh, okay, okay. The idea was to open the course for only, let's say five days. And every day after the webinar, the price was increased by uh, 100 bucks just to create some scarcity. Oh, right. So we tried to do like <laughs> different things. And, and then after that, we will stop selling the course. The idea being that we wanted to get a lot of feedback from people to see whether or not it was as good as we imagined and stop selling it. But once we launched the first masterclass, we went, our mistakes, to be honest, was to go straight to the second masterclass. And now we're going to the third and the fourth. But the truth is now we know that the third and the fourth are the one we want to focus on. But it was a mistake from our end to just like, uh, jump from a masterclass to another actually what you need to do whenever you have a masterclass like we did which did um, which made sorry like a hundred thousand dollar in one hour is to redo this like for example every month and just push it push it push it push it so it becomes like a bestseller and then after that you know you can say okay you have your cohort where which is every month you onboard like new people for us it's a it's a masterclass that is on podia so they can access it whenever they want the course is pre-recorded etc and mm -hmm. based on that you know you're just like scaling it to an to a level where you can really run it through and i feel like this is a kind of a rookie mistake from entrepreneur to be honest which is uh, you know when when you've launched something and it works you kind of want to start doing something else also you know you're not as excited to to grow it and and to me it was a it was a right. mistake and that's why you know like the the next two that we're gonna do are the one that we're gonna keep for a long time because we know that they're very innovative. Like no one has never done like a course like this. And we know that what we're doing right now and what we're teaching is not something people know about. So it's it's also like, a, I would say like a much broader audience and something that's where we have a, a real competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. So I have one more sort of uh, strategic question for you and then we'll begin to wrap up here in a bit but at this stage now you're past 10 million ARR growing team you guys have done a lot you have multiple channels going at once and you have to start working with uh, a lot bigger numbers right to move the needle it takes a lot more than it did in the beginning where you're growing you know 20 percent or 100 percent year over year and now that number is like oh my gosh how are we, how are we gonna do that <laughs> so i'm just curious to get your take on sort of you know growth and scaling from here on out and how you really think about consistently growing and not, you know, petering out and just sort of at a high level, how are you thinking about continuing the momentum up and to the right? I think it's a, it's really like good question. I feel like for us, we, we managed to grow at a two digit months over months for, I would say almost until now. I think it's been like just a couple of months since we went just below the 10% the mark. But so far, you know, it was, it's been exponential. I feel like whenever you have this real focus on making your users successful, it's you're going to generate a lot of word of mouth around it 
And if you manage to document it at the same time, people will also share it. So documenting while you're doing that is huge because you have content, which is a proof of all the things you've done and it stays. And on top of it, people talk about it. So to me, this is something that basically like really has been our focus and that has helped us to, to build this exponential growth. But I feel like what's really great in the spot we're at is we're highly profitable. We have like a huge community and we can test things that are sometimes really what the fuck, like, you know, like where, where you'd be like, what, what is that video? Why are they doing that? So for example, for the 10 million in AR, we've decided to record like a, a rap. So I'll be like rapping on a song, etc. And <laughs> of course it's what the fuck. I don't know if it's going to work or whatever, but you never know until you try. And we have a series of videos mm -hmm. like this, which are a bit crazy that are going to be really fun, really like different than what you've seen. And you never know if one can sometimes just bring so much traction that, you know, it's like it gets viral. And then from there, you start building another momentum. You touch another type of audience and then you keep building. What's really exciting also is that so far we, we have not done any ads reaching 10 million, which is quite good, which means that we have a lot of acquisition channels that we never tapped in. And now that we know we have really the best content, we're going to build like uh, amazing masterclasses and we have like a world-class product, we can say, okay, now that the foundation is extremely solid, let's have fun with ads, let's test new things, let's be more creative on the videos that we create. Like we have uh, actually our video team is as big as the sales team right now. <laughs> so really? it's, it's it, yeah, 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 it's, it's quite funny. So for us, it's, we're just investing things that no one would thought about. So for example, we're working on something called Lem Show, which is uh, basically like uh, our startup story. You can, you can picture this a bit as the last dance, you know, with uh, Michael Jordan on Netflix, yeah, 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 where yeah. it's, uh, you know, like, but it's the same, I mean, to our level, obviously, <laughs> but it's uh, me and my co-founders chatting about like the early days, how we grew from zero to 1 million, how we almost killed the company, all the mistakes we did, all the like shit that happened, etc., etc. And it's us plus some stop motion. So it's, it will be a brand new series that will be live in 2022. And we're doing all these things that no one ever done. And the idea is just to be like super creative, have fun, and always keep in mind that we want to inspire entrepreneurs, you know, like to get started. And to us, you know, it's like the, the more you grow, the more eyeballs you have. So the more you start things that can be viral, the more people will interact at first with it which is basically like um, what's really important if you want something to go viral is the seed. So the seed is the amount of people at the beginning we're going to give engagement. And for us, it's like the more we grow, the more our seed is, is big. So the higher the chance is for us to get that viral content, to get that, mm -hmm. that things going. So the idea is just to keep creating, keep doing new things. And also, I would say that a lot of companies, the bigger they get, the less innovative they are just because you know it's like oh yeah you're you're at 10 million you've made it you can just relax and it's going to keep growing you have this momentum etc for us it's not the case it's we're at 10 million which means now we can take even more risk let's have 10 times more fun and let's you know like spend money on some things that we would never thought of and test things so i guess this is kind of like the mindset for for what's coming <laughs> 
Well, I love it and I'm a big fan of you guys. So to wrap up here, I'd love to take a peek at your personal swipe file, as it were, and just some marketing examples, campaigns, things that you think are things that you think are worth saving. Are there a few that come to mind or some favorites uh, from the past that you can walk me through and just chat about why you like them? Yeah, of course. Uh, let me open that. So the I, I would say that the the first one and the most recent one is is the one from from Apple. It's like uh, 45 years of Apple Sound. And you know, we were talking about like the power of brands and this is huge because all the sounds of Apple, whether it's the first time you up, turn on your computer or whenever you're like opening your AirPod box or whenever you click on Siri to get something done, etc. So they have mm -hmm. one guy with typically what Apple stand for in the very early days of Apple. So if you remember like uh, what Steve Jobs did, you know, in the... Um, in uh, one of his best video commercial ever, which was when he's talking, you know, to all the misfits, the one that are like different, the one, the underdogs, the one that's sort, etc. It's like most people, you know, out there are misfits, you know, it's like a lot of people feel that they're not understood, etc., etc. So it's for people who are different and everyone wants to be different. So it's like their targeting is really spot on and they used one guy who is definitely an artist, is definitely like a, a bit like uh, different from from whomever you know like uh, you would picture in a, in a Nike commercial or all these famous brands and basically what they did is uh, they created a whole song around Apple which is very creative very amazing and to me it shows what's a powerful brand is all about you know so it's you have a really well targeted so the person really like is a great fit for the brand and at the same time you see how creativity can make someone like really beautiful. And it's linked directly to all the sounds that they've made within 45 years, which also shows credibility because it shows that the brand has been there for a long time. To me, it's, uh, they've, done, they've done it right like many times, but one more time, so creative. So creative. Yeah. <laughs> so Apple was, was really good. I like also like another thing, which is the guys like Chubby's. Chubby's is just like making me laugh so hard. So Chubby's is the name of, of the, they call it a weekend apparel brand, leaders of the proper lens shorts revolution, <laughs> which is, you know, like <laughs> you don't understand, you don't understand like what's the proper lens short, you know, and, and their, their Instagram is just hilarious. Like uh, you can see like our co-founder and his bulldog Frankie welcome you to the weekend. They, they post some really crazy and funny things and they made something that's, it's just a short, you know, like uh, everyone wears shorts and, but they made it, you know, like they started to say that some shorts were too short and other shorts were too long, you know, and they came to the thing as, you know, if it was a political movement and they treat it as such. So if your message is enough powerful right. and you can, you know, make fun and have fun. And to me, it's, it shows that fun can sell. And even though I know that a lot of uh, B2B companies, especially, are uh, really focused on being serious, like we need to be serious for people to buy, but that's not true because B2C or B2B, people buy based on emotion. It's not based, uh, you know, on something always like super, uh, super like specific, etc. So for me, it's, it's uh, two, two really good examples that I, uh, that I enjoy and that I think are, uh, are great to remember. 
I love those. Yeah. Especially the Chubbies. I think they've always been a really like funny, sort of clever brand. And it's so funny to see because, you know, you take something like it's a revolution, yeah. <laughs> right? And like you just make it kind of ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the ridiculousness that like makes it stick in people's heads. And I feel like for anything that really gets a lot of traction and needs some sort of some sort of like movement, right? But the movement doesn't always have to be serious, right? You had like Salesforce with, you know, with no forms or yeah. no software. And then Drift had no forms. And you have all these sort of like, oh, there's this big shift and we have to do the things the right way. But sometimes it doesn't have to be like real. You can kind of manufacture that movement. It's almost like a, a Dogecoin to the moon. You know, it's like you just you want to make it happen. And so you, you manifest. Yeah, it definitely. But those are those are really and, examples. And on top of it, you know, it's like if by saying a revolution, like people are wondering, like, why is it a revolution? You know, and, and just having this question stick in your mind, like. <laughs> Are they really like longer shorts or shorter shorts? I don't know, but at least you're asking yourself this question. So it sticks and it's powerful. Yeah. 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 And they're also pointing out like the thing that's obviously going through people's heads of like, oh, these are really short shorts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so now they're sort of making fun of it and they're addressing the elephant in the room. And yeah, it's, it's, it's genius in yeah. a lot of ways, a lot of different levels. Well, final question for you. The name of the podcast is Everything is Marketing. So when you hear that everything is marketing, what does that mean to you? What comes to mind? To me, I, I feel like I think everything is marketing means like to me that everything in life is all about how you tell a story about something, whether it's talking to people in the streets, you know, like talking to your kids before they go to bed. You know, it's like marketing has been, I think, in our DNA since humankind started. If you look at, you know, like the first stories that were put on the walls and drawn by people were actually, you know, for people to remember. And I think this is part of life. Like the essence of life is to tell stories to people, is to build emotion. And through that stories, you know, it's the, it's the only way, like we're one of the only species that can communicate uh, so well between each other. And also, you know, pass along uh, the knowledge. That's why, you know, we grew from just eating in a cave to building skyscraper and uh, building crypto. <laughs> and, and to me, like this is the power of marketing, all these stories and, and everything is all about it. Well, Guillaume, AKA G, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for sharing with us. Big fan of you guys. Keep up the great work. I'm going to be uh, following along your journey and I uh, appreciate you coming on today. Thanks a lot, Corey. I had a really good time. Thanks again to Guillaume for coming on the show. Make sure to check out Lemlist as well. And if you can spare a moment, click on the link in the show notes and let him know what you thought of everything he said today. If you agree, if you disagree, if you have more questions, please let him know and let him know that you listened to the episode. And to wrap up, here are a few of my takeaways. One thing we didn't cover much, but that's worth mentioning now is how prolific G and the Lemlist team have been. They've been nonstop on their output. So when you hear them talk about their marketing and what they're doing, also know that they're doing it at a, at a high rate, right? They're doing a lot of quantity. Uh, and it's also high quality, but really they're pushing out a lot of content. Secondly, Lemless has been cutting edge using strategies like community building, paid masterclasses, native video content on platforms like LinkedIn and YouTube. And there's something to be said about being cutting edge, uh, using the latest strategies and using that to your advantage. And finally, early on, they're really focused on their personalization differentiator within the product. It's really hard to go to market in a competitive market without a big, compelling product differentiator that you can really rely on for your marketing. So again, one thing to keep in mind, it's not just about the marketing, it's also about the product, and especially a product that has some sort of hook, some sort of differentiator, something that will grab people's attention and get you in the door.
If you've got a question or a takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swifiles.com slash membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.